But the truth is, is for me, I would rather hear my voice very little and more of yours. Um, it would have been great if you would have just stopped. You'd be like, I'd rather hear my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and then, they're like, all right, yeah. You and, lead the and much <laughs> less of yours. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'd this rather... is my podcast. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, all right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case? Tell us a little something about Lexicon Online. Uh, Lexicon Online it does three things. They, they are com- communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit, and thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon Online. Chapter one. First, I notice her standing on the building's ledge in low-slung sunlight, looking out over the city. Next, I spy her bare feet. It's the way her shoes are settled at the base of the ledge, high heels kicked over, ankle straps still buckled, that tells me everything. I'd come to the rooftop to breathe, but now there she is, 75 feet away, beyond her, the Brooklyn Bridge held together by floss. I'll take you to dinner, I say, a prayer, as if my words could reverse gravity. But a whip of May wind catches my speech. We'll get far away from all of this right off, I shout. Fly into Lisbon, then drive to Seville. We'll share a pitcher of sangria. You'll drink too much, and I'll hold your hair back. She continues to stare down the city's throat. I step toward her. The wind's hum lifts into a momentary whistle. The navy flowers on her dress rustle against her knees. What's happened up until now, I shout louder, taking two steps. I'll make it up to you times five. The wind gusts and lolls. She reaches back to keep her dress down, modesty even now. I take two more steps, but she's still so far away. Her feet shift. She seconds from takeoff. I'll ask you about your day and listen to every detail, I say. We'll kiss under storm clouds until we're both soaked. Her right foot inches to the ledge. Nothing I say anymore will matter. Wait, I plead as I race toward her, then stop short. She's rocking. Just don't. She's going to go. I know it's hard, I say. I understand, but I don't understand anything. She turns and faces me. She raises her right hand and pulls a knotted strand of hair from her mouth and tucks it behind her right ear. Her cheeks are blotched red with upset, her mouth bent into an almost frown. The wind tears across my eyes and the skyline blurs in a watercolor. What I can half see is that she stops rocking. What I can half see are the birds pausing, the clouds breaking. What I can see is that she has stopped everything until, until she collapses like a faint and disappears from the ledge. This is Case Johnston. This is a literary podcast. We're podcasting from my home in Ogden, Utah. Today we're talking to Adrian Todd Zaniga. Is it Zaniga? Is correct? Yeah, you nailed it. Adrian Todd Zaniga is the author of the debut novel, Collision Theory, uh, from Rare Bird Books. The host, creator, CCO of Literary Deathmatch, now featured in over 60 cities worldwide, and the WGA Award-nominated screenwriter of the Madden NFL 18's interactive movie, Long Shot, from EA Sports. His short fiction has been featured in Gopher Illustrated and Stymie, and online at Lost Magazine and McSweeney's. He lives between London and Los Angeles. Uh, thanks so much, Adrian, for joining us today. Um, I I finished Adrian's book. Uh, it's actually been it's been a few weeks uh, since I uh, reached out and finished the book, and uh, I was actually on flying to AWP when I was reading Adrian's book, and so it was a nice kickoff to a long literary weekend that ended uh, a lot of it I don't remember, but it was a good it was a good weekend. So Adrian read his first chapter from his book Collision Theory that came out last week. Um, do you have any nor- more news about it uh, as of recent? Uh, you said last week, but it came out a year and a week ago. A year and a week ago. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big. It, we just celebrated its uh, first birthday in London, my girlfriend and I. That was very fun. Um, I think we did absolutely nothing, but I did tweet about it. <laughs> I tried to I tried to convince people to buy it. Uh, that was my big. I was like, what a birthday gift to my book if you bought it. I, yeah. I think it sold at least four copies that day, so hey, I'm feeling good. If we can sell you another four we will be that's, really happy you know that's uh, the aim that is the aim um i would love to sell a lot more for you and what we do with our local bookstore is i will shoot them this podcast and they should um 
pop it up and say, well, okay, um, let's let's put the book out there on the shelves. So that'd be that, awesome. that would be great. Um, yeah. and like I said earlier, Ogden's a great community that um, I think you really enjoy. All right. Well, I was a bestseller in St. Louis. Uh, I was ah. a St. Louis Post Dispatch. I was ninth on the bestseller list after I did my event that uh, there. I'm from St. Louis, and my brother bought seven books. I think that helped, and everybody there bought a book. Um, and I was a I was head of Murakami on the list. So nice. It's basically like he's never going to catch up with me now. Not in but, St. Louis. Uh, not in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. That's really my. That's what I've, I've walled him off. Yeah. Um, and take it over in St. Louis. So I, was, that, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. I mean, um, as writers, you know how it is. We just want people to read our work and yeah. and hopefully like it. You know, and we were uh, Adrian and I were chatting uh, right before the podcast that um, the people that I have on the show are, are people with books that I just can easily rave about and so starting there with uh, collision theory um it was i it's 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 a mystery book i mean it's somewhat of a mystery would you define it as a mystery overall or? yeah it's funny because i was just jotting down some really quick notes um just to remember things to say or things to think about and uh, one thing i wrote was mystery colon didn't know I was writing one. <laughs> so I actually, I just thought about this. I did a panel this weekend in uh, at the Bay Area Book Festival in Berkeley. And it was a great panel. But during that panel, I was remembering and thinking about the fact that I I just thought I was writing this, you know, A to B story that had a bunch of twists and turns and whatever. But then um, when people ask me what it's about, I'll often uh, talk to them about the first chapter because it's sort of all, it all kicks off from that. But then there's all these things that... Uh, really unravel in this way that does replicate a mystery. And I, I didn't know I was doing that. I thought I was just using some narrative tricks here and there to, to try to keep it compelling. And, and generally, I'm scared to death people will stop reading. So I gen generally write a little bit shorter chapters or yeah. uh, shorter sentences. Um, but yeah, it was wild to sort of figure that out. And I remember uh, I did a panel months back and I had brought up something that somebody's like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. That was a, that's a huge spoiler. It includes the words Elvis and Presley. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't even I didn't even think about that as a spoiler because it happens early enough in. But actually, it's like, yeah, that's pretty interesting that like I, it, it is wrapped so tight that when almost anything after that first chapter is like, oh, these are really interesting set pieces. So, yeah, that's um glad you saw it that way too yeah i did and i saw like the short chapters throughout and it's 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 funny when you talk to authors and you, you ask about their motivation you know and is it a craft thing or is it a thing like you just said that i'm scared that people i want people to keep turning the pages you know and so yeah. it was it was it a mix of both though i think probably because of the pace of the book too yeah i mean for me i'm the last of eight kids so uh i really all my life I've been trained in some way to listen to people talk. So I think that's why I'm somewhat decent at dialogue. And I've been trained to like figure out the moment I can talk and be heard and know that I have to be succinct and like funny or, or sharp or say something that sort of gets people's attention before I get drowned out by my much uh, louder family. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's part of it. And then craft wise, I think, um, you know, it's like a lot of the chapters end on this sort of beat of like, I guess the goal I, I want at the end of a chapter is the same thing I got when I was reading Stephen King when I was a kid, which was like this gasp of like, oh, mm -hmm. oh man, yeah. I didn't see that. Now what, what, what's going to happen next? So it was really, there are very few chapters where there's not sort of a mystery ending um, because I wanted that thing to make you go like, oh man, that's crazy. Like, I got, let's see what happens next. Just I'll just read a few sentences. Yeah. And then that leads people through the book really quickly and I don't think anybody minds uh, a, re a fast book <laughs> nobody's gonna be like oh man like I hated finishing a book yeah that was terrible right or I hate <laughs> it you know and I don't think people mind either and it's that idea of when the chapter is over like you said it's like if they'll read a few if, if they read a, f a few sentences for the next chapter they're typically gonna read that next chapter and with yeah. um with small chapters like this, they'll, they'll flip heavy. You, you know, you, you read a couple sentences, you flip and it's like, how long is this one? I can get through yeah. that one in the next three minutes before I go to bed. And then you're 17 chapters in and, yeah, yeah. you know, and I don't think, I think it, I think it really helped the story and for the pace of it, um, throughout where this is really this quick, um, journey for the protagonist, Thomas, um, to find what, and I hate, I don't want to be a spoiler, but I do want people to buy the book, uh, is to find out, you know, what has happened, why his ex-girlfriend who, uh, jumped off the bridge is haunting him, you know, and that's right. where we are in the first, 
uh, that's where we are throughout the book. And so I think that that pacing is works really well. Um, and so that's one of the things that I loved when I was, especially going to AWP is I could flip through it, read, flip another chapter, read and, and, yeah, yeah. and be really intrigued um, throughout. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, in terms of spoilers, we can, we can, you know, we can tell them. We can, throw some, we, can we can throw some stuff. We can talk Elvis. We can talk moms. <laughs> okay. Is yeah. it year? I, is I don't it year want, long enough? I, I don't. It? What's that? I th- a year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, what's that? Brandon asked if a year was long enough to actually throw out a bunch of spoilers after the book's been out. Yeah, I blame anybody who hasn't read it yet. It's like, <laughs> what is it on the Avengers uh, directors? I think just came out and said like May sixth was when you could start talking about it. Oh, and okay. uh, I'm sure the Game of Thrones people are like, it's a week and out. So for yeah. a, I think a year is it's, yeah, okay. we can totally yeah. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, so um, it's it's Collision Theory by Adrian Todd Zaniga, and um, my my next question is what is your, what was your mind because I know you're all over the place. I mean your life is with with LDM with literary deathmatch, and if you don't know what literary deathmatch is and you haven't been to one, you need to, to to go to one. They're they're entertaining, they're fun, and they're the great part about it is they're wrapped up in really good literature. You know it's not it's not a show. It's with really amazing writers. Um, who are also entertaining. And so, um, so if you haven't been to one, look it up, find one next, uh, with, within your reach. Um, next year it's going to coming, coming to Ogden, Utah. So every local listener, you guys should need to be here for that too. And Adrian will join us, which is going to be, it's a lot of fun. Um, how do you get in that mindset? I mean, with so much travel, when do you get in that mindset and do you have tricks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's this thing I read from Dave Eggers, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And he said that, um, he said writing is basically going underwater and going so deep, you get to the darkest, quietest place. He said, and then if you check your, he said, um, that can take you like two hours to get that place. And then if you check your email, you're on the surface in a second. So one of the things that I'm, uh, which is probably, I've gotten more into this and probably more weird and frustrating in that way. But Basically, I don't, when I wake up and I go to cafes or to WeWork or wherever I am to go to write, I basically live in a sort of amniotic bubble where I'm not engaging with things and I'll listen to podcasts. So I might listen to the daily podcast or the New York Times or something and contact the real world in that way. But for the most part, I try to just listen to like the Script Notes podcast or Bookworm podcast, something that's just going to make me think about writing and just sort of put me in that world. And then once I'm there, I'm, I just try to box everything out. And I, I do that because if I, if I let the real world in, I get really kind of pissy because <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh! like I can feel it pressing yeah. against me. And then sometimes I'm just like, fuck, it went too far. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, I've, I've dropped an F-bomb. No, nope, um, we're good with those. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. And I think, I think managing distraction is such a huge part of it because, you know, I, one thing I learned from literary deathmatch is touring is the opposite of writing. And so even just getting to the airport and taking a flight and landing and getting to your friend's house and like hanging out for a little bit, like the, a day of travel can totally consume your creative time. So you really have to be diligent. And I mean, I, I had this whole plan last week. I flew to San Francisco on Thursday from London and I had, a, there's a dog jumping around behind me because this owner's come home. Yeah. Um, I'm here to watch a hockey game. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, I forget what I was saying, but something super important and, and really cool uh, <laughs> about distraction. Uh, I, I lost the thread. But yeah, I would say um, tr- managing distraction is so key because you just need to get to that like that two hours or you know deep underwater place where you're where it's quiet and your brain is allowed to thrive. And I also think that there's so many good movies, there's so much good TV, so many good yeah. podcasts, so much stuff. Um, to do in the world that sometimes it piles up and you feel like, you know, it, it's it's harder sometimes to read and to go take a walk and to go sit down and write than it is to do all the other fun stuff. But I had this quite uh, awesome experience the other day. I was flying on that same um, flight to San Francisco and I was uh, I was reading Beloved, which I'd never read. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the last hundred pages and it's so good. And I'm like so compelled by it. I'm just like, God, I got to keep reading. And then I, I sort of hit a chapter break and I was like, 
oh, I do want to watch True Detective season three. And I and it was on the plane. And then I thought to myself, I was like, what I actually want is I want to, what I want to consume is excellence. And I was like, Beloved is way better than True Detective. Yeah, sure. And, and which that, it says a lot because True Detective is really, really good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, now season one, you can put that up against some pretty great books, sure. but yeah. in three, you're like, okay, yeah, Mahershala Ali's great and all, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it is interesting to, that, that was quite a profound moment for me because I do think sometimes I want to watch TV shows either for research for the scripts I'm writing or uh, my friend did something on a show or whatever it is, or I just like it and I want to like consume that. But I think I'm trying to balance more, just be like, Reading is great, and it it also, you know, and I'm sure you know this that reading is sort of uh, it's like meditation, so it puts you in the right space to to think about your own work and all that stuff. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've answered any questions there, but I have talked for a while. No, you answered all of them, and and that's a good thing. It's because a lot of writers are able to just live their life uh, in a basement, you know, and I don't right. mean that I don't mean that as as a knock, um, because like you said, I mean I think a lot of us who are very busy would, would kind of kill for that for a couple of weeks, you know, to end. Um, but we're, some of us aren't that type. Like we get, we get a stereotype that a lot of writers, we just have to, we, we're in the corners and that's what we do. But then some of us, we really like people, you know? Yeah. And so that's a balancing act of, I do want to be out. I do want to talk to people. Um, and I can't just sit in my office all day and write for work yeah. or for whatever different reasons. And, no, it's, it's great advice, too, in the sense of, and I love this idea, and I think I'm going to take that with me, of kind of looking at what is the better art that is that is available to me at this moment, and I'm going to pick that one, even if it's more difficult to be in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and so, no, that's great. There was this one uh, group I put together when I was living in L.A., and it was just 10 of us, and there was uh, musicians, artists, directors, um, writers, screenwriters. It's just a, a really eclectic mix of people. And um, and we would meet every, I think every two weeks. And instead of talking about our writing or what we were creating, it was interesting because we would sort of just check in and say that what we were doing very briefly. And then we would talk about life in some way. And I remember one time I just was like, what do you guys do when you wake up? Like, what's your exercise routine or what's your, how do you deal with sitting down? You know, and we had like a 45 minute chat where everybody fed back about what they do and how they handle it. And that was so helpful to me. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason I bring that up is it's like, I think an important part of being a writer and I'm 44 now and I'm really invested in this and this is, you know, what I want to do in all different capacities. And I've just I really just check in with myself all the time. Like I really, part of me being a creative person is knowing what trips me up, what like space I need to get to. And I think it can be a little weird. I mean, it's sort of weird. It's like a self-obsession in a way, but once you get used to what, once you get used to looking at yourself in that way and knowing what you need to succeed, then you're going to use, if you have 40 minutes to write or you have half a day to write, you know, you're going to, you're going to react accordingly because sometimes you might just be like, oh, I can write for like 90 minutes and then the wheels sort of fall off. Mm -hmm. And knowing that about yourself means if you get a six hour, you know, a rare six hour window, you can be like, well, I'm only going to write for 90 minutes, but I want to read or edit for the other time. I think that's a really interesting thing. And that's why that group really helped me just to talk about those kind of things. But yeah. And and maybe it's, I'm with you. Like, I think I I hit 1500 words and and I'm done, you know, yeah. in one, in one kick. And that's about, that's about an hour's worth, a little over an hour's worth. But, yeah. um, um, and it's nice to say, cause there's a lot of writers that say I write eight hours a day and I look at them and I think I don't, even if I had the chance, I don't think that I could possibly do that. Um, yeah. and like I said, with a lot of our listeners who want to be writers, this is great advice to say, Hey, you find you, you know, right. I mean, find who you are as a creative and, and, and be happy with that and then, then fit it into your life, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, sure. it's fantastic. Um, with this book, with, with collision theory, cause we talked some briefly about it being a mystery, but you didn't know it was a mystery until you were done with it, but probably cause it was in your head. It's not a mystery. Um, right. but what did like, cause I, like when I read a book like yours, you know, and I think I could never write this book. Do you know what I mean? I don't have that kind of brain to write a book where it unravels slowly 
and there's these little teeny what what you know I mean, we're talking about game of thrones and we're talking about uh, there's uh, uh there's what do they call them the easter eggs there's easter eggs throughout right and i am not a writer that can drop an easter egg you know what i mean i'm like i <laughs> i have no i do not have the brain capacity to do it and so right. i read a book like yours and i think wow that's that's it's uh that's really fantastic how I look back and I say, oh, even in that first chapter, like when I finished the book, I went back and I read the first chapter um, and I thought it's all there. You know, it really is almost all there, but you don't see it until the end of the book. And Thanks, yeah. that's a that's something I could never do. Um, is there a bunch was there? Um, and if you're working on something new, you please talk about that, too. But is there a bunch of scaffolding when it goes into something like this? Oh, we lost him. I, I think I think it was on my end. I had to run upstairs and tell my son to stop streaming stuff. You know, I was like, "Stop streaming, <laughs> Teen Titans Go!" And he's like, "Why?" I'm like, "Just stop." So that's I, hilarious. Yeah, it's so. Um, we were uh, talking about uh, scaffolding. Uh, what's that? Like scaffolding, like shaping it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, I mean, like I said, if you if you want to talk about that book or what you're working on now or anything that unravels that way, um, what's your process that way? Well, with collision theory, I started the book 14 years ago. It came out last year, so that was only a 13 year, you know, average 13 year wow, writing that's a, process. Yeah, that's a yeah, yeah. But wildly, I wrote it uh, in nine months, and it. I never believed in outlines. The current novel I'm working on is outlined, and it's because of this book. Because basically, I was like, when I started the collision theory, I was like. I'm a genius. Anything I type will be great. And it <laughs> took me 13 years to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but a, it is interesting because there is a lot of this like joyful, weird exuberance that that maintained somewhat tonally. That um, I, I don't I don't know if it it exists now in the book, but there was this I don't know. There's this freedom and fun that I was that I had writing it the first time. Yeah. And. Um, and I, I notice this thing I'll do, which is like, if I sit down to write when it's time to write, if I don't have an outline and I start to get bored, I basically just grab the steering wheel and just jerk it as hard as I can to the right or the left. Be like, let's make something happen. That's interesting. Sure. To me. And, uh, and I noticed that with this current book because I, I outlined 51 chapters and I felt myself doing that some days. And then I stopped myself because I was like, if you do not, if you do this, you literally could be derailing yourself for months in the editing process. Like, so stick with what you got. And then I was sort of like, okay, I'll go back to it. But with collision theory, I was just like off and running. And it's funny because my editor, uh, Seth Fisher was such an incredible force in the book, as was my girlfriend. Um, he, he was like, well, I'll say this, that there were several chapters in the book. There's one in second person. There were two in third person. And they were just sort of like me having fun or me coming up in the era of like, I guess a little bit of a McSweeney's era or I ran a literary magazine called Opium and the whole basis was uh, literary humor and just kind of like, I, I guess I would just have fun when you get bored was my principle. In that way, if I'm having fun, then the reader's going to have fun. But when like the first chapter was third person until the final final edit of the book and, and Seth had been pushing on it for like two or three edits worth that we did together and um, he was like I'm just saying I think it would be better and your second person chapter uh, which is like chapter 27 he's like I just think and final like first chapter 27 fell and I was like yeah you're right this is ridiculous <laughs> uh, and then the second one being the first chapter when I was like yeah it's got to be in first person it can't it can't be in third person. And, um, and that was interesting. It, it just sort of like, I think myself as a writer, I basically will do a sentence by sentence rewrite. And then once every sentence is as good as I can get it, then I start looking wider at story structure and like, Oh, should it even be that way? But I'm trying to get better at that in advance. Cause mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of bad at plotting and good at sentences I think or conversations or I don't I don't know what I'm good at but I, I actually I do now I feel like I know I'm mm -hmm. good at but when I was writing this book I was just like I literally was just typing I didn't do an MFA I didn't have that kind of structure it was just like I read all these books and these are the books that influenced me and here we go um, but yeah so it I would definitely recommend outlining but you know there's that idea that you just want to be free to create however you want to create but I think um, 
I think one thing that I I would recommend nowadays is just like because I realized I wasn't doing it. I would I would think I had done something, or I'd be at a party and just talking about my book, and I would say what I I had done, mm-hmm. but that's not what I had done. But what I was saying I was I had done sounded really good because it was the right thing to have done. So it took a long time for me to go back and and change those chapters to actually be what they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. What, uh, I don't know if any of this is helpful. I'm I I feel like I feel like it's. Uh, yeah. Do you think that's the same way with like most people's first books? You know, that that freedom. And then when they get to their I, second book, they're like maybe not that they learn so much that they don't want it to be 13 years. You know? Right. And yeah, so yeah. the when that's the freedom Yeah. Yeah, that's a pain yeah. that's a lot of time and I, I I understand it and a lot of writers understand those years. Um and there's nothing to be done about them. And I, I when I, right. you know, I love yeah. to talk to people who are who think that you know we we write books and then the next year it comes out and you think no, that's just not how it happens. Yeah. But but I wonder. I mean, I know I love the discussion about what is it with that first book that that lets us be freer. And then when you get to your second one, you're you're going to change things. Is it for personal health? Or is it for mental health? Is it for the health of the book. Um, and then a lot of times our first books are always our best books, you know? Yeah. I think my, my next book's going to be by far my best book. So I'm excited Good. about that. But there is something, there's something that I can never do again that I did with collision theory. So it's kind of cool to me that it, I, I think collision theory is a perfect first novel because, and I don't mean it's a perfect book. I mean, it's the perfect book for me to have had as my first novel because it is a smaller story it's not taking on like massive things and in some way when it was coming out I've definitely like my new book has much more political uh, a lot of racist and uh, feminist and like uh, altruistic and I'm just dealing with like way bigger topics but Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time I was I did create something I think was um, still meaningful on a very personal level and negotiating how you know, we move through the world. And one of the things that was really interesting to me about it was late in the editing process, or actually when Seth came on to help me edit it, he was like, there's a real mental illness element in this book. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's just, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's, it's not like that. And I didn't understand why I felt that way until way late in the process, which is basically our first bo- books are about us. And I thought I had beaten that. I was like, no, this book isn't about me at all. But what I came to understand very late in the process of the book was like, oh, this book is more about me than anything. And just in terms of like, I don't know if it's worldview or just like, I don't know what it is. Um, But like my ideas of love and all the stuff, like in this almost this immature version of me, is very much on display. And mm-hmm. I think I've grown a lot of that. And I just don't think that way or whatever, but I, I'm, I don't really know exactly what I'm saying, but I'm having a good time just blathering. But I uh, love the blathering, you know? Yeah, it's, it's fine. Usually I come at like a point at the end, but it's not happening. So I just am like bailing out altogether on it. But I, I, I don't know. I think, um, I think it surprised me how much it was about me. And I, I guess in some way, the new book I'm writing, I'm not, it's not about me in some way. And yet one third of it is absolutely about me and, and my evolution as a person, but, um, cause it's three different alternating characters, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And there, well, there is a huge, me- well, I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, well, if you, if the, 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 the crux of the book, a big crux of the book, um, for those listening is. Uh, Thomas, the protagonist, struggled to go visit his mom when when she's dying. Um, and this is something that, while this feel while the book feels like a mystery, and like I said, well, the only people, the only writers I want to have on the podcast are books that I really want to rave about. And this was one of the things that struck me is though there's a lot of this, there is a lot of this mystery going on, and there's a feeling of these, you know, apparitions and ghosts and and what's real and what's not going on with this, with collision theory. But one thing that is so real within the book is this relationship between the protagonist, his mother and his father and how hard it is for us to, 
face things in life that um, we don't want to. And this idea that, and, and, and um, Adrian's a huge blues fan, and we're talking about this earlier, and it's like, well, when I was younger, and this is just a, a horrible metaphor, but when I, I thought that if I didn't watch the jazz game, they would lose. And I think when it comes to this book, it's like the protagonist feels as if he goes home and says goodbye, then his mom will finally pass away, or been in the book they, they help, they assist. Um, and so at the heart of it, we've got this really fascinating, fast-moving book that we don't really know what's we don't know what is reality and what is the protagonist reality but at the heart of it we've got this struggle of losing family and at that and with that it's that's what makes that's what made this book for me personally um this kind of really grounded book and when you're toward when you get to the end you think well that's really what it was all about you know i mean to me it was like this hard thing of why well, don't want if i'm there it's going to move life along in a way that, that I don't want life to be. And that so it does really work. It, there is a big mental illness kind of um, a look at mental illness and, and how we deal with loss within the book. So if you haven't picked it up, this is Adrian Todd Zuniga's uh, Collision Theory. Um, it came out in 2018. Um, we're talking to Adrian Todd Zuniga tonight at the, on the Literary Podcast. And we're talking uh, a lot about what what process is with these books and moving forward after the first book. So yeah, I mean, everything you said makes so much sense. And um, that discovery too, like I didn't know there was so much of me in it. And uh, it's not all, that's not always easy. And for people just starting off in writing, I think Adrian has given us a glimpse into, well, sometimes what you write, you're going to look back 10 years later and say, "Oh, oh, oh shit. You know, this was something that I didn't, ex- ex- I didn't, ex- I didn't expect to expose about my spell, my, about myself. Um, yeah. So, well, thank one thing you. you were talking, yeah, of course. I mean, one thing that you talked about that's interesting to me is one of these things I realized I do, um, which is I use humor in the book and sort of like fast pace and sort of moving you along um, in this, in this sort of world where I, I don't want to say it's goofy, but there's like a lightness to it at times. And that's all a a strategy of mine as a writer to sort of like walk you up this hill. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the top of the hill, you realize it's a cliff and I shove you off. And then it's basically like the devastation and sadness that you would, you don't see coming Mm -hmm. is such a huge drop. And that's something that I'm, that I'm like really interested in is how we use humor and how we sort of like, it's sort of like, Hey, look at this flashing light over here. Look, 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 look. And then all of a sudden you just get run down and you're like, Whoa. And it's, it's that thing that people say about great innings, which is like, it's inevitable and you never see it coming. So I, I'm trying to do that like chapter by chapter, just trying to surprise you, but make you go like, Oh shit. Like anything can happen. Like this is, wild you know and i just want to know what's going to happen i I also i remember an interview many months ago i was talking about how my my goal is to convince people to run at a wall and right before they hit it to pull out the rug or pull the rug out from under them and i was like that makes no sense in any way but i like (laughs) i like the visual of it yeah Uh, Yeah. slapstick um but yeah yeah like like physical humor you know in a way that it's distracting and then, yeah. then, you know, punch people in the face with the real stuff that, right. that hurts, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, I'm sure your readers will appreciate you for that. Um, but it's yeah. good, you know, and, and I think that goes back to like with this second book that you're working on now, are there things you're carrying over that were successful from collision theory into this one? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, it's basically, it's three alternating characters. So the chapters are like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, all the way through. And there's one character in it that is like the absolute like best possible evolution from, from collision theory, totally different. But like this one character just has the same, I don't know, just like a much more mature variation on this. And it, that part of the book was so easy for me to write. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend who's been a, an awesome force in reading it and helping me edit it along the way has, uh, She's just like, yeah, there's not too much wrong here. Where the other two characters, one's a, a black character and another's a woman. And she's just like, I mean, especially with the woman, she's like, that's not what women do. No. And she can't have green. She can't have green eyes. Like, and she yeah. showed me this, this article, like men write women with green eyes. And like, I was like, oh shit. Like, so it, and just 
the amount of care and and uh, difficulty with writing somebody outside myself because um, the white guy has been the, the easy one to write. But just taking the time to just keep going and keep editing and keep you know shaping and sculpting that um, it's super challenging. But I'm also like I know I can get there. That's one of the great things. I mean I. I would say before Collision Theory got published, I was, you know, like a year before that, I was like, maybe it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's one of the things that um, I heard somebody talking about their TV show, a book of their own recently that was a hit. And they said the same thing. And I was like, everybody thinks that. So if you're, you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know if it's going to happen for me. Two things. A, uh, it doesn't matter. Like just keep getting better and keep getting better and keep making yourself proud of your work. And if you're not, work until you're proud of it. Because I did get to a point, and I have gotten to a point with a lot of my screenwriting stuff that's ready to go into, hey, let's find a producer or I'm going to start raising money or whatever it is on my own, that I'm just like, yes, this is now good enough. This right. now will represent me. And it's so hard because you, I think all of us, and I experienced it with that first draft, like nine months, like I'm a genius, let's let the world find out about me. And then it was like, okay, publishers didn't want that first draft and editing for years and years and just letting it go and then coming back to it. Cause I'm like, no, it's really good. And yeah. I, it's a, uh, it's really challenging for me. One of the big challenges for this book was after the second act, which is the mother storyline that has an ending to it in a way. And then I had to go from the end of that storyline in a, in a sense to like lifting it back up, which was, emotionally it was just a very uh, intense period of the book and I had to figure out a way to get into the third act and I thought for a long time I was like well does it need this third act and I was like yes because that speaks to the first act and ultimately mm -hmm. the first and the second act so I'm paying off on all this stuff but it was fascinating to try to to let it go slow enough but also like ramp it back up naturally to where you're like oh oh shit we've got this to oh right yeah <laughs> you know and that was that's an interesting process too and um, all this stuff takes forever, but if, if you do it right, then it's infinitely like, I'm so stoked about this book and I think I will be stoked about it forever. And that did take 13 years, but then for the rest of my life and like, you know, people can read this and I, it will always be the thing I want it to be. Um, and it's so hard because you think that all along the way that it's, the, it's perfect. It's good enough. It's great. You know, like, and then you get hit in the, hit in the mouth a couple of times. And you're like, wait, am I doing it right? What's going on? But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just keep going is my advice yeah. really as you. Or get hit in the mouth 500 times, you know? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. that's really probably closer um, yeah. to, to reality for us. Um, yeah. And I like this idea that I think after a while you recognize it is good enough and it's not the book. You know, it's, yeah. it's not getting published, not because the book isn't good, but because of all of these, all of the stuff within the industry and the trends and who's looking at it and who reads it and when they read it. And if, you know, their dog died that day and they pick it up and it's a book about dogs and they're like, I can't read a book yeah. about dogs. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Sadie Smith, uh, I read a thing that she had written, written like, God, that feels like forever ago. I don't know how many years now, but she basically said that every book, there's a, this great essay that you might be able to find online, but um, she basically says like, when you start writing a book, you're writing the greatest book ever written and finishing it is the process of writing your book. And like, basically there's a point when you're not writing, you realize this is not the great American novel. It's not the greatest book that will be written, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because now it's your book and you just have to finish it. And I think that's quite a profound thing because I think everybody should start thinking they're about to win the Pulitzer prize and the national book award mm -hmm. and the book. Like you should, you should be writing the best. And everybody knows that because the beginning is so fun and so easy yeah. and life is amazing. Um, but it's just going back to that desk and just get hitting yourself and letting everybody else hit you in the face with the, yeah. you know, the 500 times. But yeah. what were you going to say? No, I, I, I was thinking, um, what was I thinking? I was thinking, Brandon, you seeing me? I was a thing. I love uh, you today, Case. You're the best today. <laughs> I know. I, it's been a long day. I, I was telling Brandon, That's I, so I did a, I did a half iron on a uh, half iron man on Saturday, came back. Oh. Um, had family in town for my son's first communion and then they left this morning and then I have come going to run a overnight race, um, Thursday and Friday night for 25 miles. And my brain wow. is just 
zinging. Um, You're doing great. Oh, good. Well, Brandon, Brandon's obviously thinking no, <laughs> but um, um, so no, um, no. So I, I think that comes down to, and I love the idea of it, but is there parts within, oh, that's where it was. My brain came back. Okay. Um, when you're parts of a book like this, where it takes such a long time to sell, we know it's good. That's the, that's the thing. And I think like at this, at this point, it's like reading a book like this, you think, um, this book should have sold really fast. And the, the industry just doesn't treat writers that way. We, we did uh, Roxanne Valetso's book a couple months ago and she had written that book 12 years ago. And then that book is doing really, really well. And she, and you're just kind of thinking, who knows, but I love this idea of, of believing in yourself at a, at a certain point. Are, but are there points like that you've read this since and you're like, I can't even remember re- writing that, but it damn, that was really good. <laughs> I really enjoyed that chapter as if you weren't the writer. Uh, not now, not yeah, yet, yeah. but I know, I know when I was editing it, I did like, that's part of the motivation. Cause you're just like, Oh wow. This is, yeah, this yeah, is good. good. I'm just going to keep going. Like, this is worth it. And I think that's like, it's totally like, I'm totally, my girlfriend's always amazed by how proud of my work I am when I get it right. Because mm-hmm. she's just like, oh, it's just, it's interesting. Like, most people are like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just doing my best. But I'm fucking stoked yeah. when I get it right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I am knocking it out of the park. There is this great panel I went to in San Francisco, which actually inspired this book. And it was Chuck Palahniuk. And it was, uh, who's the neuro, uh, William Neuromancer? Uh, uh, hold on. Author, God, I can't believe William Gibson. Mm-hmm. William Gibson, an, a screenwriter, and somebody else. And this was in San Francisco in, I think, 2005, I guess it would have been, maybe 2004. And uh, it was just an extraordinary panel. And um, then one person asked a question during the Q&A and said, you know, do you know when you've nailed it? Do you know when you've written a great book, a great sentence, a great chapter, a great whatever? And uh, everybody on the panel looked left and right at one another. And then one of them leaned forward and just said, yes. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm not a big false humility guy. So mm-hmm. I'm like, and, and mostly my baseline is grateful enthusiasm. That's like, that's the baseline of, or that's the, the basis of literary deathmatch and of I, I just am like I'm so grateful if I've nailed it. It's not like oh I'm the best. Yeah. I'm fine with thinking I'm the best for a minute. But of course if you think about it, if you're actually the best, you'll get super depressed. Um because there's some people doing some pretty extraordinary stuff out there. But uh but yeah so I don't know. But there's think, nothing wrong with okay yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah because you whatever got... motivates you. Yeah. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with saying I I nailed it. You yeah. know, I mean especially <laughs> if it's gonna get you to write the next page you know yeah, i mean absolutely you, yeah um yeah i completely understand there's there's been there's been times when i've said yeah that was good that was good yeah. and editors have turned me down for smaller pieces and i thought yeah you know what they can but this one's good and i'm gonna keep yeah. going well there's also i don't know if you've had this idea but it's like especially for my short stories there's some that and i'm not good at submitting short stories because i it's the whole process mm-hmm. i used to do it and and i, I don't know i'd rather i can i can either write a short story submit it and all that and that'll take like seven months of my life or i can write a third of a novel or half a yeah. novel in that same yeah. amount of time yeah but um there's part of me that's just like okay well you know when my books take off and when my movies take off, when everything takes off, you're going to look back at this and you're going to want it. And I'm always going to have known it was good enough. You're just going to, I don't know. That's a, that's a lie we could tell ourselves sure. as writers too. It's just like, no, you're going to, you're going to want this as it is, but you know, it's You just never know. Yeah. Anything, but it go, what I'm trying to get at is like psychically anything that can make you keep going and just keep believing in yourself. Cause it's tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It's just magic. Like we're actually creating magic. Yeah. Stand-up comedy is the true magic, I think. And then there's writing, which is like the long-term magic of like created something out of nothing. Yeah. That's just insane. But yeah. And I, I agree. I think I've thought about going back for like for the PhD, you know, along the same I'm like, yeah, I could go back for the PhD for four years or I could write three books, you know, mm-hmm. and what's, I'd rather be writing books than going back to school or yes. or writing books writing a long collection of essays than writing an essay and submitting it and going through all that kind of research so i mean i'm I, i'm with you 
I'm completely with you in yeah. that sense. It's like, what, what is my, my time has got to be valuable for this. And I'd rather be creating something long-term. Yeah. So, all right. This is the literary podcast. This is Case Johnston. We're podcasting from my home in Ogden, Utah. And Brandon always has the best questions. Uh, he waits till the end. <laughs> and then no, uh, I am very intrigued by this because you just mentioned how the, the time thing, but yet you saved a ton of time by getting your, your MFA uh, where Adrian, you did, does not have one, correct? And yet, and so there was maybe some time loss there with structure and trying to figure. So, where's the balance? Do you get it? Do you not get it? Do you go? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's, where's the benefit because you meet so many people, like minded individuals, and you create a network for getting, or do you just write? Go for it, Adrian. What do you think? Well, my girlfriend is 33, 34, and I should know. It's, no, she'll be 34 this year. And I was telling her the other day, because she, she's a lawyer, and she's one of the most extraordinary-minded people I've ever met. She's, she can, and also, she can read a book in like a day and a half. Um, and she wants to write, but she sort of, you know, life happens, and being a lawyer is hard. And I remember when we first met, I was thinking, like, she might think, I've got a huge head start because I've wanted to be a writer since I was 10 and I've been writing, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is like, she will also be way ahead of the game because she knows all the things there are to know to a certain point. And she's got a good support system through me and other people. So she can really, once she, once she goes, you know what, F all this crap, I'm just going to write. Um, she's going to have a shorter, shorter window to get there. And you know, I had a longer window because this is, I mean, I was like a white American male raised in St. Louis, Missouri and the South. And I just didn't live in the real world in some way through privilege and through like just family structure and whatever. And it just took me a longer time to get to be the intellectual or the, the person that I needed to be to write this book. And I think like every everything you want to work on and everything you want to do, like it's going to take as long as it takes. And so I could have gotten an MFA if they would have let me in. I don't know if I, if my work would have been good enough to get in. I applied to three MFAs one year and that was it. I didn't get into like Iowa, Syracuse and somewhere else. So I was like really yeah. going for it. Yeah. But, um, but I think if you, if you have the, I mean, personally, I would say if you have the opportunity to go and it makes sense, go, if you are like, well, I don't need one. I'm, I'm weirdly, uh, just, I don't know. I'm like, I'm an individual. I'm actually realizing this more and more that I'm a little too individual and I'm always running ahead on things and I need to slow down and all this stuff. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think basically whatever you're going to do is the right thing. And mm -hmm. as long as you don't second guess yourself, which of course you're going to do, but would you, what would your, your thoughts on that be? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think, and I think people do it for different reasons. You know, right. I, I like for me personally, I didn't um, I was a journalist and I didn't know how to focus on long term projects. I couldn't I could not sit down and focus on something that took me nine months to do. And that's what it worked for me. And people do it for different reasons. And if you could if you I think so for me, I was always a storyteller. I just didn't have the focus. So if you're a storyteller, have the focus. I think there's no need for that you know, there's no need for that MFA unless you want to teach. Um, and a lot of me did All it right. for teaching. I did it for teaching because I was teaching at a community college with an MA and with the MFA. Now I can teach graduate classes. Um, and so that's why too. So this, it's all just completely different. Like if I wanted to stay completely in the private sector and not teach, I don't think I would have gone back, but I'm glad I did because it taught me to go long. Um, yeah. and that's why. So I think, it all comes down to, and just some people just don't need it. I mean, and I think yeah. it's that, I think it's, that's the, the truth about it. Um, and so it's all like, I think what Adrian said, it's all what you're, where you are in life and what you, what you think it'll do for you. Um, for me, I, I want, feel like I sound, want to teach. I sound, I, I'm, I hate hippies, but I feel like I sound like one cause I actually probably am one, but I'm just sort of like of this mindset of just like whatever's happening is the thing that's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Just try to, do your best and try to be patient and compassionate with yourself and just just keep working because it goes back to something I sort of touched on earlier is like act, like what I realize about myself is my goal is exactness. I am trying to create 
exactness. And if I do that, then that's going to create pride in me. Like in, I'm, I'll be proud of my work. And then it doesn't matter what happens to it because ultimately I'm doing the thing that I'm best at or I'm, I'm most capable of and like I'm doing it to the top of my game you know the decision for it to get published or whatever else that's that's another yeah like ugh. and that just you can't control that but what you can control is important and uh, yeah so hippies am I right hippies am I right I think yes and I think that's where we're gonna end this <laughs> end because that, yeah. we might we'll probably put that in the announcement <laughs> what's is it do you know who PJ Mark is he's an agent I don't think so yeah, he's like he's a pretty huge agent now, and and he was even when he read me. But he read me like a year or two years after I first wrote the book, and he couldn't sell it. And then I was like, oh, it's like, well, just well, your next book. It's like, yeah, this, your next book. That's like, oh, yeah. let me just t- spend ten minutes. But he, and then we ended up breaking up because I wrote a book that he was just like, yeah, and I'm like, whatever, I don't need an agent if you know. Yeah. But then uh, then I had to go out and try to get another agent. And I had every contact in the world through literary deathmatch and um and i never like everybody was saying no again and only one agent said yes and i and you know his email went to spam (laughs) and i would and he wrote that uh that my book was virtuosic and that was when i was sort of losing hope and i was like you know what you're goddamn right it's fucking virtuosic yeah yeah. like yes and then we went out to the major publishers and nobody said yes and then he went out to the indies and we got one yes and I, you know, immediately I was like, oh, it's an indie. That's not as good. And then like three weeks later or less, I was like, who gives a shit? Like somebody wants to publish this book. Mm-hmm. And now I'm able to like go to panels with all the great authors and get invited. You know, it's just, it is like such a hellacious process. But, you know, as somebody came up to me at the, after the panel in Berkeley and they were like, well, how do I, like, I've got a book and, you know, what do I do? And I've tried to get an agent. I'm like, well, just rewrite it. Go write another thing. Like, do whatever you can to distract yourself and just keep building something yeah. so you're building a career because it's it's just poison. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden it happens, and then you're like, oh god, this isn't the greatest, but it is, and it's like yeah, it's just weird. I mean, them saying yes to publishing Collision Theory changed my life. Like it it literally gave me endless confidence, and mm. now I feel like I can do anything. And I've my writing has tripled and quality and output and it's just i don't know it's interesting how we have these things that we want but yeah yeah. anyway no i think we should keep all of that brandon just cut me in the middle yeah yeah cut me in the middle (laughs) yeah Yeah. that was good Uh, yeah no that's perfect um because it's so honest and it's true Keep the part where he says all the baseball people were shitty people. Then, <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that because that was the we'll truth. We'll keep a gif of that. Oh, I uh, should mention though that when you said that uh, Adrian loved the blues, it wasn't the blues as in music. It no, was, it was the blues. The blues like yeah. the, the hockey the St. Louis blues, yeah. which is yeah, going on right blues. now. St. Louis blues. Oh yeah. 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 No spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, no, spoilers. No, no, we have no idea. All right, thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case, tell us a little something about Lexicon and Line. Uh, Lexicon and Line does three things. They they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon and Line at lexiconandline.com. Please give them a visit, and thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon and Line.